morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Well, the future of the Republic, the United States of America, is going to be revealed this week, and it has quite a few people worried, yet it does not worry Christians. We are comforted by the Word of God and its promises, like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 which says, And the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory, and he is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. They are the same in essence. They are co-equal, co-infinite, and co-eternal. And Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. What does that mean? Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. That means that nothing happens in the universe without the Lord Jesus Christ's permission, including the installation of all leaders, evil or otherwise. And so, we have nothing to worry about. Now, when Jesus had made the purification of sins, when he paid for every sin we'd ever commit on the cross, every sin we'd ever commit past, present, and future, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. He sat down right next to God the Father, on high, and we are comforted by that. Nothing happens in this life without the Lord's permission, including the installation of evil governments. And we are comforted by the Word of God and its promises, like Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39, which say this, in every situation imaginable, including elections, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38 For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, physical death nor anything in life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demon fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present nor things to come, not anything in the past, not anything in the present, not anything in the future, nor things to come, nor powers, evil powers, Romans 8.39, nor height, nothing in the heavens, nor depth, nothing under the earth, nor any other created thing, no creature, will be able to sever us, believers in Christ, from the unconditional love of God the Father, who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus our Lord. At the moment of our uh, baptism, at the moment we believed in Christ, we were placed into union with Christ, and it is a union we cannot get out of under any circumstance. And even if we wanted to, and even if we wanted to sever ourselves from Christ, he would never allow it. So there is nothing to worry about. God loves us so much, and he loves us unconditionally, that he gives us the victory in all things through himself, through his very person. And we are comforted by the word of God and its promises, like Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, which say this, What then shall we believers in Christ say face to face with all these things? All these things like what? All these things like Jesus Christ controls the universe by the word of his power. All the things like he loves us unconditionally. All the things like no circumstance and no environment is ever going to in any way sever us from him. What shall we believers in Christ say face to face with all these things? We say that if God the Father is for us, believers in Christ, and he is, first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true. If God the Father is for us, believers in Christ, and he is, 
who is ever going to be successful in opposition to us. No one. Period. None. See, that's why it's a waste of time for you believers in Christ to have all that crap in your head about the past. Yeah, we're all hurt. We've all been hurt by the past. Amen? So are you still thinking about it? Why? It was a lesson. It was to teach you something. Did you learn? Or now are you trying to, are, are, are you letting that inform your present and create your future? Not me. Yes. Uh, pastor, you're a pastor, right? Yeah, I am. Uh, why are you divorced twice? Because I have bad women. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's like people ask that stupid question. It's like, why are you divorced? Because I'm, I'm not married. That's why. It's, th that stuff happens to people. What are you supposed to do? Quit living? No. Purple heart, purple heart, move on. What are you going to do? Worry about it? No. You can't change anything. You can't change people. There are always two people in a relationship. It's not just one. And who cares whose fault it was? Who cares? You know, with me, it's always going to be my fault. I'm good with that. But I'm not going to live my life looking over my shoulder. Amen? Because all of those things were lessons for us. And that's the point. So what shall we say? God's for us and he is. Who can be against us? Nobody. Romans 8.32. God the Father, who did not spare his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but delivered him over for all of us as a sacrifice. How will the Father not also, now that he's given us his son to die for us, not give us everything else as well? I don't care what's going on in your life right now. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. Okay. It is a signpost to an amazing future. That's it. Amazing future. You either believe it or you don't. You either have faith or you don't. And faith is seeing the unseeable because you know who promised is faithful. Amen? All right, then. Don't, don't get me crazy today. Amen? Don't get me crazy today. Don't be starting to think that your success in life is based on a Joe Biden or a Donald Trump. It is not. It's based on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we aren't looking for a Savior in human beings because we already have a Savior in Christ. Amen? I didn't hear you. All right. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ. And he tabernacled among us. He is the uniquely born one. 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And he is the Jewish Messiah. And at Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. But God has an enemy, Satan, 
who, whom God made the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to get to know God. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Religion deceives many into thinking that they are saved when they might not be, and religion works like a charm. But the word of God is truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through the Lord who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord's Supper celebrates sacrifice. The Lord's Supper celebrates sacrifice. Well, it was 22 years, one month, and eight days ago when my mother went home to be with the Lord, September 24, 1998, around dinner time. And it was unusual because my family was actually having dinner at the dinner table. We virtually never did that. And we got the call there. Now, if you don't know that that was the Lord, as much as I travel, and it just so happened that my mom died on a night when I wasn't traveling and a night when we had sat down to dinner and we were all together. If you don't know that that was the Lord, you're just not watching. Because if you're watching with spiritual eyes, you know that the Lord orchestrated that perfectly. And there is still a burning hatred inside as I reflect on her life. The hatred is directed toward my siblings, two brothers and a sister, because they never bothered to get to know mom. They didn't understand her, and in my view, they didn't even try. And I can point to specific evidence that inform this viewpoint. If I were to categorize the evidence, they could be summarized in a word, selfishness. They were so concerned with self that they couldn't see her or what she had to offer. And they certainly didn't honor her. They didn't have a single bone of honor in their bodies, and they still don't. I have no right to hate, and perhaps it's selfish of me, yet contempt for them burns in my breast, in the depth of my heart, and perhaps it's better described as righteous anger. Forgiveness? That happened a long time ago. There's no need to hold on to a feeling such as this, as if payment for their evil ways will be coming anytime soon. That's the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness is that you have control over it. But if you're waiting for somebody on the outside of you to give you some payment you think you deserve, you're out of your mind. It is not coming. If they knew you wanted it, they would want to give it to you less than you actually want it. It's not coming. Amen? The payment's not coming. So release them from your life. Learn the lesson and move on. Well, the forgiveness for my brothers and sister happened a long time ago. And the Lord will see to them. Perhaps it's not so much hatred of my siblings as it is hatred of selfishness and its source. Satan, the enemy of God and the ruler of this world. When I think of my mom, I think of sacrifice. She inculcated a sacrificial spirit into us. And for my brothers and sisters, it bounced off of them like they were Teflon. And for me, it stuck like it was Velcro. It was not something she talked about. 
She didn't talk about inculcating a sacrificial spirit into us. It was something that she demonstrated in her work as a medical social worker at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, in her parenting as a single mother of four ungrateful children. I was determined to repay her with my life, to be a reflection of her sacrificial spirit. And in today's lesson, we see a contrast between sacrifice and selfishness. The Lord's life of sacrifice contrasted with the selfishness of the believers in the church at first century Corinth as they celebrated the Lord's Supper. The Lord intended that their conduct would be a reflection of his sacrifice at all times, but especially in the Lord's Supper. Instead, their conduct was a reflection of their own selfishness inspired by the enemy of God. My question for you is this. When you think of your own life, Does it demonstrate sacrifice or does it demonstrate selfishness? The mirror of reflection is available in today's lesson. Well, I joke about it quite a bit, but as Christians, we truly are blessed. We're blessed. Amen? We're blessed. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us so. It says this, We believers in Christ know that God the Father causes all things to work together for good to those who love God the Father. That's all believers in Christ. We love God the Father. That's why we're on his team. To those who are called according to God the Father's purpose. All believers in Christ are called to a purpose. And occasionally that purpose involves suffering. So it was in Laura Story's life, And when it dawned on her that God was working all these things together for her good, she wrote this beautiful and amazing song called Blessings. And today, I sent that song to the Pomeroy family because it was the only words that I could summon that would accurately communicate the depth of feeling and the depth of sorrow that I have as they grieve today. So let's listen to this beautiful song by Laura Story called Blessings. blessings we pray for peace comfort for family protection while we sleep we pray for healing for prosperity we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering spoken need yet love is way too much to give us lesser things cause what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to Is 
Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, you truly are perfect, and your plan for all mankind is perfect, and your plan for each one of us is perfect. And we don't always understand your plan because we don't have the same information or the same power or the same wisdom that you do. Yet we trust you, and we know that you will reveal all to us at the proper time because you are not a God of confusion. And today, Father, we pray for our royal family in Florida who are hurting badly today. And we join them in hurting and in grieving because you've decided to take two of your servants home to be with you. And we ask you to heal the pain 
to comfort us in the grieving and to give us the insight as we move on one step at a time. Let us be comforted by the things you teach us today about the unity that you embed in each Lord's Supper celebration. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord's Supper, celebrates sacrifice. The Lord's Supper celebrates sacrifice. Well, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse by verse. And as we study this passage, what you'll notice is this structure. In verses 17 to 34, that's the passage. Verses 17 to 22 highlight the people abuses going on in the church. What is that? We mistreat each other. We mistreat each other. And as a matter of fact, the more we love somebody, the more we mistreat them. Does that make any sense to you whatsoever? Does it make any sense to you that the people who are treating you the best in your life are your punching bags? Does that make any sense to you at all? It makes no sense to me. The tradition celebrated in the church is verses 23 to 26. That's what we'll study today. And then Paul's recommended solution for the abuses we'll study next week in verses 27 to 34. So that's the structure of the passage. In this passage, Paul is rebuking the conduct of the believers at Corinth. What is a rebuke? A rebuke is the expression of very strong disapproval. It is a reprimand. He is getting in their face and he's telling them that he completely disapproves of what they're doing and what they're doing was reprehensible. What they're doing demonstrated no honor whatsoever and it should be rebuked. Now last week we studied the first part of this passage which highlighted the abuses Paul is addressing that were reported to him by Chloe's people. So let's review what we saw in that 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 22. Here's what it says. It says, but in giving this instruction, and he's referring to the instruction in the first 16 verses of chapter 11, the things that he was saying about women and their headwear when they're praying and prophesying. And you remember that women were praying and prophesying in their own home. And they were so comfortable in their own home that they didn't think that they had to treat it as a special occasion and a church service. And they were uh, not wearing the proper head covering, which would demonstrate reverence to their their heads, Uh, that being their husband, their father, and the males in their lives. So in giving this instruction, I, Paul, do not praise you. Because you come together as a church, not in a church, but as a church. Because in the church age, the church is the believer in Christ. We are temples of God the Holy Spirit. But you come together as a church, not for the betterment, not for the good of all of you, but you come together for the worse, to harm, to mistreat each other. And what I said to you last week is there are two reasons to come to church. One is to learn the Word of God, and another is to be in a classroom where you get to demonstrate unconditional love because you're in a classroom with people who are knuckleheads. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, 
And I, Paul, believe the report. The report came from a credible source, and he believes the report. And Paul said, first of all, as if he was going to enumerate things, and he got so mad that by the end of the passage, he didn't enumerate anything. It was just in the first place, and everything else was in the first place. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For it is inevitable. There must also be factions among you that you're causing. It's not inevitable that there are factions between people. It's inevitable because you're causing the factions. And when there is strife in your relationship, you personally better look at where the strife is coming from and make sure the cause. And please, don't be pointing at anybody else as if you somehow have the right or the ability, more importantly, to judge whether strife is coming from somebody else. Just look at yourself. And ask yourself if you're causing the strife. Because one of the things my mom always told me, and I loved it about her, she said, don't start any crap and there won't be any. I love that. Because she, what was she saying? She said, I'm not going to start anything. So please, you don't start anything, there won't be any crap. But if you start some crap, I know how to finish stuff. She used to say, I don't want a humbug, but I will. It was so funny. She was the funniest woman on the earth. I just miss her so much, and I can't wait till a day when I'm reunited with her in heaven. So, 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For it's inevitable there must be factions among you that you're causing, so that those of you who are elite may become evident among you, because the elite are always calling attention to themselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. Therefore, when you meet together... It's not to eat the Lord's Supper, which it ought to be, a supper of sacrifice. What is it instead? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first in front of everybody else. So see, there was the Lord's Supper as we celebrated, but there was also a ceremonial meal that was part of their Lord's Supper celebration. And people would bring their own food and their own drink. Well, obviously the elite had the great food and the great drink, and as they sat in their nine-seat, nine three-couches triclinium and looked out into the atrium where the rabble was, you know, sort of like what we do when we invite June over, we put her in a special room where, you know, we got it all covered with plastic so she can drip all her barbecue sauce all over the place and not make me mad. And then we look in on her every once in a while to see if she's okay. Sort of like that. It was like that in the Corinthian church too. And, you know, we needed, we do that June because we just need to celebrate the tradition. Amen? <laughs> I'm funny today, aren't I? I don't know where I come up with this stuff. I really don't. I think it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I think he's got a great sense of humor. So, <laughs> what did you say, Denny? Yeah, maybe it's, that's right. Maybe it's the other spirits that are motivating that whole thing. It probably is. So anyway, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first in front of everyone else. And one is hungry, the poor ones with no food or less food, because they were coming from work and they didn't have anything. And another is drunk. The elite ones with the expensive wine are drunk before the actual Lord's Supper celebration ever even begins. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two. Paul says, wait, what? Do you have houses in which to eat and drink? Why don't you do that stuff in your own house? 
If you're going to be selfish, why don't you be selfish in your own house? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing, the have-nots? So he's clearly rebuking the elitists here. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this matter, I will not praise you. Selfishness. Paul uses the Lord's Supper celebration as a contrast and reflects the Lord's intent. Sacrifice. This is part of the passage that we'll reflect on today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. And these verses you have heard before. And if you are consistent in studying with this ministry, you hear them all the time because we use them every month. But hopefully today you will hear them differently and you will hear them through the ears of sacrifice versus selfishness. And what the Lord intended is to communicate sacrifice in the Lord's Supper. And what he wanted you to use it for is unity and not for division and selfishness. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I, Paul, received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after the Passover supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. It's a new testament in my blood. It's what happens after the cross. It is not the old testament. It is not the old covenant. It is not the age of Israel covenant. It's not the Mosaic law. It's a new covenant. The covenant of grace. The testament of grace. Keep on doing this. And by the way, it's a new, the cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed blood. Keep on doing this, continuous action. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread, representing his broken body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his shed blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. Sacrifice. When you think of your own life, when you think of your own life, the body of work represented by your own life, does it represent selfishness or sacrifice? Only you can answer that question, but God certainly has an answer for the question. You're not pulling anything over on him. And when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll see what insights we can gain from what the Lord is teaching us through this passage. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, will all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for. Oh, 
How's that? Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord's Supper, celebrates sacrifice. Well, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, King David was astonished at the generosity of his people, the Jews. And he had this to say about it in prayer. He said, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to make an offering as generously as this? For all things come from the source of you, Lord, and from your hand, what you have given us, we have given back to you. Let's not forget the source of our generosity, the Lord. We are able to give because the Lord gives first to us. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed <clears throat> to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. So, who's ready to vote? Right, everybody? Who's already voted? Probably half the people, yeah. Who's ready for it to be over with? Everybody, right? I mean, it's just been inundated with phone calls and text messages and ads on TV and it's just fear-mongering. It's so polarizing, the politics of all of it. It really divides us. And <clears throat> it's funny because I feel like this whole life, this whole 2020 has been like division with, you know, do you wear a mask, do you not wear a mask? There's a whole, there's the groups, you know, and there's so many ways to, to divide us, and that's Satan's plan, right? Just division. It's not unity. You know, the color of our skin, where we shop, you know, what, what we drive, all those things people just evaluate, and they look at you, and they judge you. And I thought of a new one. Adoption. How about, you know, you know anybody have a, a friend that was adopted? Anybody here adopted? Trick question, actually. We're all adopted if we're Christian. <laughs> right? Very good. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you believers in Christ were not re- have not received a spirit of slavery, leaving to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as adult sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, screech like a bird, Father! <laughs> but the point of the story is, you know, we, we're just divided all the time, and another of, of those divisions is adoption. And a lot of times, <clears throat> I have a, a friend who was adopted, and he felt like it was always a stigma, you know, like, where's your, who's your family? Oh, those are your parents? You don't look like your parents. And it was kind of one of those things where it kind of divided him, and I think it, you know, it made him grow up a little differently than other people, and that happens in a lot of people's lives, and I think that happens with Christians. Like, oh, you're Christian? Like, I didn't know you were. You, you act differently than most Christians act, or you don't act like you should, or however it is. But we can cry out to Father, that, to our Father, our new Father, our adopted Father, that we don't need to fear. And if you think about some things about adoption, this is a family that's not your blood. And they love you so much. They're just bringing you into their family. They're going to love you. And you think about another thing about adoption. You don't do the work. The family brings you in. They bring you in and support you. You just, you just take it in. And then you think about, what about the other kids that are like the blood children? How do they take the adoption? That's got to be kind of weird. We're bringing this new kid in. You know, do they, do they take him in? What did Jesus Christ do? The Son of God took part in the plan to bring us in as adopted children to this new family. So we don't have to fear. We're, our citizenship is in heaven, like the song Laura Story said. Our home isn't here. 
So we don't have to fear the elections. We don't have to fear any of this stuff because all we have to do is cry out. We don't have to cry out for our spirit of slavery. We have a spirit, we received a spirit of adoption. So we don't have to do the work. We can rest in our Father. And in the same way, we can cry out for him when we, when we have to sacrifice at the offering because we know he's going to support us and we know he's going to support this church. So thank you for always remembering to come here and remembering to support our pastor and just remember that we are adopted sons and that our citizenship is in heaven and we don't have to fear whoever gets installed as our president because at the end of the day, who's controlling our life? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ controls humanity, so he's holding everything together, so we don't have to worry to try to hold it together ourselves. A taco falls apart, we still eat it, right? So, anyway, amen. Hit it, Zach. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord's Supper celebrates sacrifice. The Lord's Supper celebrates sacrifice. Well, as we take a look at the verses we'll study today, a song comes to mind from the carpenters. The refrain of the lyrics goes like this, we go on hurting each other, we go on hurting each other, making each other cry, hurting each other, without ever knowing why. 
Well, that's what was going on in the Corinthian church, and that's what the Corinthian believers were doing. They were hurting each other through selfishness. So let's take a look at the passage verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I, Paul, received from the Lord as the authoritative source in this matter that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he was betrayed, the night when he was turned uh, turned on through Judas's treacherous wickedness, the night he was handed over to a corrupt government, the night he was served up for slaughter, he took a loaf of bread. We blame Judas for betraying the Lord, but it was Satan who was at the source of his treachery. Satan indwelled Judas at the Last Supper, and he was the one who actually betrayed the Lord. Judas simply duplicated the same selfishness that Satan demonstrated in the angelic realm. It was a betrayal of the highest magnitude. On the other hand, we have a Lord who teaches sacrifice, not selfishness. And Paul used the Lord's Supper celebration as an example, a contrast between what Jesus did, which was sacrifice, and what the Corinthians were doing, which was selfishness. So Paul was not teaching the Lord's Supper here. He had taught them that already. But now he was asking them why they weren't celebrating it in the spirit of which it was intended. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Keep on doing this sacrifice in remembrance of me. It is the sacrifice that the Lord wants us to remember at the Lord's Supper. It is the sacrifice that the Lord wants us to emulate. An unselfishness toward others that is awe-inspiring, just as he did by offering up his body as a sacrifice for us. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40 say this, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were even more intense and more brilliant Pharisees, they all gathered together. Why were they gathering together? They were gathering together like why they always gather together to stir up crap and to start some kind of a conspiracy. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. And one of the representatives of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, interrogating him. The question was designed to trap Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the Mosaic law? Okay, then now he was started, it starts with an insult. Teacher, teacher, this is the sovereign God of the universe you're talking to, buddy. This is God in human form who humiliated himself to even stand before you. The fact that you should have an audience with him, you should be bowing down to him, and yet you're insulting him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the Mosaic law? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And Jesus said to the lawyer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight. This is the great and foremost commandment. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. The second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor unconditionally just as you love yourself unconditionally. Matthew twenty-two forty. Upon these two commandments hang the whole Mosaic law 
and all the teaching of the Old Testament prophets. Well, as the author of the Mosaic, <laughs> as the author of the Mosaic Law, Jesus was able to easily summarize in a couple of sentences what the Mosaic Law was all about. And the lawyer's response, by the way, was, you know, he's right about that. Yeah, duh, he wrote it. Continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, a new testament in my shed blood. Keep on doing this, and as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. It is the sacrifice that the Lord wants us to remember. It is the sacrifice that the Lord wants us to emulate. And unselfishness toward others that is awe-inspiring, just as he did by pouring out his blood as a sacrifice for us. The Lord was broken. He bled. He was delivered over. He was given up. He paid a price. And these are words that describe a sacrifice beyond belief with an impact that defies measure. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread, representing his broken body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his shed blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. What's your choice? Sacrifice or selfishness? Do you see why all this social consciousness crap that we're going through is so stupid? Black Lives Matter. Stop hate. Love. These are words to people. Just because you paste them on uniforms, they are words. That's not the way people live. What we want to see is people who are living their life that way. Living the life of sacrifice, not talking about it. Not sucking off of somebody else's sacrifice. And then in the, on their own being selfish. That's not what we're looking for. This, all, this social consciousness, diversity, equity, inclusion crap is motivated by selfishness. And it is motivated from a source. And the source is Satan himself. This is his kingdom. This is not our home, just as Denny, Deacon Denny said and as Laura Story says. It's Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which heaven we await a savior to come back here and rescue us from this crap. Amen? This is not our home. You have no right to expect that in a tyrant's kingdom you will get anything but tyranny. Amen? That's what you're going to get here. What's going to happen after Tuesday? The same thing that happened before Tuesday. Tyranny. Usurping of freedom. Division. Divisiveness. Rivalry. Rebellion. Rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen in Satan's kingdom because that's what the kingdom is designed to do. And we're just here going, what is this place? Can anybody get this off of me? It's a disease. Can anybody get it off of me? I'm envious of Steve and Marilyn. They've gone home to be with the Lord. They don't have to deal with this crap anymore. Amen? Amen. Sad for us too, though.
Because Satan could care less about any of us. To Satan, no lives matter. Not the black lives matter. No lives matter. So the Corinthian believers were engaged in conduct that was about social status, divisions, rivalries, and unconcern for others, drunkenness, which puts you out of touch with reality, mistreatment of others, selfishness. The Lord's Supper represented the opposite, sacrifice. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper next week, let's celebrate it with a renewed thought process, the renewed thought process being sacrifice. Let's look back to the cross and see the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made on our behalf. Like my brothers and sisters, and my, my, like my brothers and my sister, the Corinthian believers had no respect whatsoever for sacrifice. My mom sacrificed everything for me. My mom made sure that I got home alive every day. And that was my goal growing up, to get a home alive every day. And she made sure that I was exposed to things. I mean, I, my mom took me to Madame Butterfly, an opera. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, what is this? She said, it's an opera. I said, what's that? She said, it's really good. Just listen. She said, children should be seen and not heard. And then she took me to The Sound of Music. And then she took me to see Mary Poppins. So always taking me to movies. And we would sneak food in so that we didn't have to pay for the food at, <laughs> at the concession stand. And I don't know how the people didn't know we were sneaking it in because the food smelled so good. And this, this bag is, has all this smell coming out of it. And, she, you know, she took me to Canada. My first international trip was to Toronto, Canada in 1964. We stayed at the Lord Simcoe Hotel right across from the brand new City Hall, which was just gorgeous. And she taught me the difference between American money and Canadian money. And she, I mean, the things that she taught me were just unbelievable. And she got me my clothes from Goodwill Industries and from Sears. And I was laughed at by kids at school. Because I didn't have the, the designer labels. I didn't have the Stacey Adams shoes and all that. And I could care less. I got up and took my Goodwill Industry clothes and I ironed them every day. And I laid them out the night before so that I could be ready to go to school. And kids laughed at me and I didn't care. Because I knew that my mom had made a sacrifice for me to have those things. And I wanted her to be proud of me. And I wanted her to know through my own the way I handled my life and the way I ironed those clothes and shined my shoes, I wanted her to know that I honored her as a woman and as a parent, as one of the most amazing people I've ever met. God was perfect in his decision to bring me into her family. And I love him for that. And he was perfect as my father standing in for the human father who, who had zero honor, zero integrity, who could father children but not raise them. So, sacrifice. I'm one of the luckiest men in the whole world because, first and foremost, I have a God who died for me. 
who sacrificed for me. And he gave me a parent who was a perfect reflection of his own sacrifice. And I am so proud to have her as a mom and to be her kid. And I wonder if you respect the sacrifice of those who have brought you to where you are in this life. And that's what I want you to think about this week. Do you respect the sacrifice of those who brought you to where you are in this life? Well, the closing moments of this lesson are a reminder to you that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. And if you don't yet have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you have a chance to be precious in God's sight. Because Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones, his saints, his believers in Christ. The fact that God wants you is a great thing to know as you get older because there will be a day when it is apparent to you that no one gets out of this life alive. What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? Both are literal places. They are not concepts. Well, God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, and he has distorted Christianity. He, he creates nothing himself. He distorts, and he has distorted Christianity by creating counterfeits to Christianity, religions designed to mislead you into thinking you're saved when you might not be. Roman Catholicism is one of those counterfeits. Here is an excerpt from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, an organization that has deceived 1.1 billion of the world's 7 billion people. And here's what it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2010. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification. And if you don't know what sanctification is, it's the second step in the Christian way of living. It, salvation is first, sanctification is second. And what they're saying is that they can merit for themselves the transition into sanctification. And they can merit it for others. Unbelievers who have died, they can pray them out of a place they call purgatory, into salvation. Lies, lies, lies. Satan wants you to think that you can work your way to heaven. He wants you to think that you can earn your own salvation and that you can earn the salvation of others. He is lying. You cannot. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. The Bible, the truth says, if salvation is by grace, and of course it is, that's a first-class condition, if, in the Greek, if, and it's true. If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. There are the two poles, grace or works. Do you want it free, or do you want to pay for it yourself? Otherwise, grace is a free gift from the source of God. It's no longer grace if you're going to work for it. Amen? If you have to work for a free gift, and the work makes you deserve the gift. In salvation, there is no work you could ever do that is impressive enough to God to allow you to save yourself. The Lord provides us with the Bible to illuminate the path to heaven. 
John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in Him, you may have the resurrection life in His name. The Bible contains the Lord's exact thinking. It is your owner's manual for life, and it obliterates the delusion that any of us are good people in God's eyes. The Bible says we're all bad people, as a matter of fact. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall dramatically short of the essence of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who ever comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. When we look at babies when they're born, we go, goo goo ga ga, aren't you cute? And what we ought to say is, ew, <laughs> you are set for the lake of fire, you. Your condition at physical birth is not your fault. But it is your circumstance. But the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ did something about your problem. He has a plan for your life because he doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he's patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can you get to heaven? Right where you sit right now. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16 verse 31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and everyone in your household who also believes. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. And I always remember when I hear that verse, uh, an encounter that I had with a woman at a timeshare presentation in Cabo. And she said, well, there are many paths to God. And I had this instinctive reaction to her. And I said, that is the stupidest thing that I have ever heard in my entire life. What you just said is that if you're in Los Angeles and you want to get to New York, you can go to the West to do it. Yeah, you can. But it's going to be a long, wet, and arduous journey. You'd better go, better be, it would be better to go East. And by the way, on that long, wet, arduous Western journey, you ain't going to make it. The direct path to heaven is through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. It's your confirmation that being a good person 
does not get you to heaven. It's wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You cannot lose your salvation. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. You cannot, under any circumstance, lose your salvation. And if anyone tells you that you can, they are lying to you. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, the Zoe life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. You can join me and a host of your other believer friends in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. By choosing it now, simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believe. Amen? Amen? All right, let's close with music. Are we worthy of a so great salvation? Yes. Why? For one reason only. It's because the Lord says we are. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. Are two sparrows not sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the permission of your God and Father. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. And even the hairs on your very head are all counted. Matthew 10, 31. So do not fear, believers in Christ. You are much more valuable to God than a great number of sparrows. Here's June Murphy to declare our worth in her song, Worthy.
was an interesting rendition. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we close with the doxology of praise to our God. Ephesians 1.3 says, Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, a place of permanence through our union with our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to enjoy his gracious provisions. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 say, In Jesus we have redemption, that is, deliverance from slavery to the sovereignty of sin through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift wisdom and insight. Ephesians 3.20, not of the God, the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power omnipotence that works within us. To him be the glory through the church age believers in union with Christ Jesus and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for making it clear how you want us to treat others. Thank you for loving us, for caring for us, for giving us of yourself, especially the gift of your son who was willing to sacrifice as a substitute for us at the cross. Teach us to be worthy of that sacrifice by being an exact and obedient reflection of everything your son stands for and everything every member of the Godhead stands for, including our guide, our mentor, and our teacher, God the Holy Spirit. We ask this through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.